0: Hello and welcome to the Dutch Angle Chronicles podcast, a podcast about all things film from a different perspective. I'm your host, Samantha De La Heron, and today I'll be talking about the ever-famous Pixar theory. What is the Pixar theory? Who is by and large? And how are monsters and old ladies connected? Let's get right into it. So as a disclaimer, this episode is going to be a lot or significantly longer than my other episodes, so bear with me. 15 minutes long, so this is going to be pretty long, I'm already assuming. So um, let's continue. <laughs> Another thing before I begin, please check out the website pixartheory.com because it explains this theory so well, and it's where I got a lot of information in order to write this episode. And this doesn't include every single Pixar movie ever, but you can find updated versions in books and YouTube videos, blog posts, everyone's talking about this. I'm, I'm sure there's podcasts just about the Pixar Theory, so just go look for it if you're really interested, but this is just going to be an overview. I also use the Pixar Theory Timeline by John Negroni, who dives deep into the theory and keeps updating it as new movies come out. And I'll use a combo of both of these to describe the theory to you today. And these will be linked in the show notes as well, so you can find them super easily. And also, if it isn't clear, this is a giant spoiler alert. I'm going over about, what, 12, or maybe even more, 15, I think, um, movies. In the Pixar universe so just if you haven't seen like all of them (laughs) I would just assume that there's gonna be uh, a massive amount of spoilers for you so just you're forewarned there's no blame put on me this is all for you to decide if you want to go forward all right now we can start In short, the Pixar theory is a theory that all of the Pixar films we know and love, as well as the ones coming out now, are connected in a timeline and all occur in the same universe. This is like how the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all of its movies are connected but the Pixar characters don't all meet up to defeat a purple alien with some shiny rocks. So the Pixar theory starts off with the good dinosaur. 65 million years ago, a giant meteor hit the earth and killed off all the dinosaurs, right? Wrong. At least in the good dinosaur, the meteor misses earth, and all the dinos all survive. And for a good while. But when we watch the adventures of Arlo and his family, all the dinos are struggling to survive, and the earth and all the things the dinos need to survive are dying off, thus paving the way for humans to take over the earth. We even see this with... Um, I forget the name of the child, but he ends up going back to his family at the end. We see that there's whole villages and things like that of cavemen. So we know that humans are still going to be reigning over the earth and at the top of the food chain. Then we move on to Brave. This takes place in the 14th to the 15th century. Some even say the 10th century. So we're just going to say around that era. Merida discovers the Will of the Wisps. These blue glowing magical orbs that lead her to the witch's hut. Inside the hut, we witness the witch and her magical objects like the broom and tools moving on their own and a crow talking. And if you look closely, you can even find Sully from Monsters, Inc. carved into one of the wooden pieces in the shop. A classic Disney easter egg. I'm not going over every single easter egg in every single Pixar movie. If you guys are interested in that, please, please let me know. I could make a whole new episode or a series on easter eggs from Disney Pixar movies because they are very interesting they give insights into other films well after they're over. But for now, I'll just mention a few that are relevant to the Pixar theory itself. The witch can use magic to go through doors and she makes a potion to turn Merida's mother into a bear. This scene always reminds me of Howl's Moving Castle because the witch kind of looks like Sophie and the door magic is very similar. The Wisps and their magic also pave the way for superheroes. After Brave, we move on to The Incredibles. This takes place much later after Brave, in the 1950s and the 1960s. The magic turned ordinary people into superheroes. Buddy, the boy who looked up to Mr. Incredible, turned evil after some time and made his own superpowers using technology. This tech is AI powered and is referred to as zero point energy. This is electromagnetic energy that exists in a vacuum. This is also the beginnings of an evil corporation, by and large, or BNL. The zero point energy leads to something unforeseen, toys absorbing the invisible energy that travels in wavelengths. So naturally, we move on to Toy Story. Toy Story and Toy Story 2 take place around 1995 to 1998. From what I understood based off of John Negroni's theory, the AI made by Syndrome in The Incredibles is the owner or creator of b and that company is now in the toy business. These toys run off of the zero point energy and harness their power from children's emotions. This is why the toys in Toy Story can move and are obsessed with keeping their owners happy. We also see, however, that resentment toward the humans that abandon the toys, like Jesse, is ever-present in this world. Put a pin in that for now. We will get onto to the later Toy Story movies in a second. But for now, we're going to Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. These take place in 2003 and 2004. Dory grows up at an aquarium surrounded by humans, which shows how intelligent animals are getting just by pure exposure to humans. This is why Dory can read and use multiple languages, like whale. In both of these movies, you can see the amount of pollution that humans are creating. There are bottles, cans, trash, and even a car at the bottom of the ocean. The humans are also catching fish and caging them, thus creating a sense of hate or resentment towards humans from animals. We also see a lot of human characteristics in these animals. The fish in the ocean where Marlin and Nemo live have a school system, much like ours, not the regular fish system, and freeways, and the manta ray is kind of used as a school bus. (laughs) So next, we move on to Ratatouille. This movie takes place in 2007 in France. Remy does things very human-like. For example, he walks on his hind legs as if he's standing like a human. He washes his paws, reads books, watches TV, and of course he cooks. He controls Linguini through his hair and thrives off of humans and their emotions and presence. Even his family members and Nest learn to cook and walk upright, which goes to show how far animals are evolving and getting more intelligent. They even have an escape plan. They build boats. They use toothpaste caps as cups, play instruments, have dining tables, parties, and so much more. Following the events of Ratatouille, we go to Toy Story 3. This movie takes place between 2007 and 2010. Easter eggs abound in this movie, linking a lot of the Pixar movies together and solidifying the Pixar theory a little bit more. We see Darla from Finding Nemo on the cover of a magazine. Boo from Monsters, Inc. is an older child, and Carl and Ellie from Up seem to have written a letter to Andy. Some speculate that this letter is a warning to Andy, telling him to move away from electronics and toys like in the middle of the jungle next to a waterfall. One big connection seen in this film is that Buzz's batteries are from B&L, by and large, thus establishing this huge connection. We also see further resentment towards humans from toys and electronics in this one, like Lotso. Next, we have the movie Up. Up takes place around 2007 to 2016. This movie, just for one second, just humor me. This is by far the saddest Pixar film, in my opinion, and it makes me cry just thinking about it. It is just so heartbreaking. (laughs) Anyway. Carl, in his old age, owns the only house on the street where tons of construction and city buildings are being built by none other than B&L. You can see their logo all over the place at the beginning of this movie. Animals can now talk thanks to technology and the greed of humans shown through Charles' Muntz, and the creation of his dog army creates more frustration and resentment towards humans. Are we seeing a theme here? Next, we have Inside Out. This one probably, like, gave me the most- oh my gosh, it threw me for a loop. This one really rattled my brain. So Inside Out takes place during 2015, which means as a smaller child, Riley grew up at the same time as Boo from Monsters, Inc. By the way, Boo's real name is Mary apparently, but I'm just gonna call her Boo. Because that's all I ever remember her as, so there you go. The imaginary friend of Riley that we meet in Inside Out is Bing Bong. But who is Bing Bong, really? He dresses like a clown and has a half-cat, half-elephant appearance. He was there for Riley when she was little, making her laugh. He is a monster from the Monsters Inc. facility. So sorry to headphone wearers, but I just needed to get that out. At the end of Monsters, Inc., the monsters make kids laugh to produce energy for their cities. So Bing Bong was a monster who worked at Monsters, Inc., and Riley was the kid whose door he would go through to make them laugh. She internalized this and saw him as an imaginary friend because children are told that these monsters only exist in their minds. They're not real. And he never really died. I just need to get that out there. Bing Bong broke my heart. Like I, I couldn't handle that. All right, moving on from Inside Out. We are in the home stretch now. In 2017, we see the story of Coco. This is also one of the saddest Pixar movies, and it makes me so upset just thinking about it. I love Grandma Coco and the entire thing, it's beautiful. Coco shows more magic through music and the spirits that traverse the land on Dia de los Muertos. The spirits can only cross the bridge to the world of the living if their photo is put on an ofrenda and they can be forgotten and disappear forever. This may show a connection to the wisps' magic in Brave. Now we're moving on to the beginning part of Wally, e the prologue. The prologue takes place around 2057 and 2110. So, in a lot of our lifetimes. By and large, is in control of the world's governments, and we can see, by and large, everywhere on Earth. The resources of the Earth were mined to depletion thanks to overpopulation, and the humans decided to evacuate. They tried to destroy all the garbage by burning it, which leads to mass pollution, making Earth's air unsafe for living creatures. Put a pin in this for now, and we will return to Wally's main story in a minute. Meanwhile we have the Cars franchise. This entire Cars era is between 2110 and 2800. The humans have left the earth, machines can do what they want. The Cars take over all the rules of humans on the planet and rule for a couple of centuries With no human emotion to siphon power from, the car's only source of power comes from fuel, known as all-in-all. All-in-all is owned by by large and the green energy proposed by some cars would not give them the energy they needed to survive as a machinist species. The oil production pollutes the earth. All the cars die off without humans to power them, and there is no life left. Now we move back to Wally. <laughs> now we are in the year 2805. Wally is cleaning up one city on Earth, left there for centuries, repairing himself and using solar power, as well as his relationship with a cockroach to power himself. He's also obsessed with human life and culture and everything. He discovers a plant and with the assistance of Eve, brings the plant and the humans home. They start rebuilding the earth. And in the end credits, we see the plant growing out of a boot and into a tree. This tree is the tree that the ants in A Bug's Life live next to. And moving on to A Bug's Life, this film takes place after the earth is rebuilt and regrown in approximately 2898-2898. To 3, the bugs survived on Earth through the events of Wally, as seen through the cockroach, and are now thriving. They are more resilient and can live a lot longer due to the pollution on the planet. We see bugs that can live to many, many months. And normally, um, an ant's lifespan is about three months prior to all these events. <laughs> and... Now, after Wally and all the pollution, ants can live a whole summer, which I know many people will say that it's three months (laughs) for summer, but I feel like that could be a whole lot longer, maybe even a year. So we're seeing them evolve a lot more. And there is practically no mention of humans from the bugs, because there aren't too many left, and there aren't many to run into, and there aren't that many to be a threat. The bugs also are creating cities and taxi bugs, and circuses, and they're evolving to be very, very smart. They even outsmart their predators and use technology-ish of their own to survive. So now, moving forward into Monsters University and Monsters, Inc. Monsters University takes place around 4,500 to 5,000. However, the calendar in Monsters University says 1313, which is their monster timeline. They were animals and bugs that were so radiated that they evolved into monster-looking creatures over centuries and did one of two things. They either rose against humans and overthrew them and created their own society, which would explain the calendar, or they evolved past humans and the humans were wiped out accidentally. Please let me know what you think happened, because I can't pick one. (laughs) The monsters still need human energy to power their electricity and machines, so they invent doors to time travel. This time travel allows them to go into the past when humans were around and thriving, and harness the energy from their screams and eventually their laughter. And finally, back to Brave. Boo! Haunted by her experience in the monster's city and spending time with Sully and Mike, spent her life trying to find them. She finds out how to use magic and creates her own door, but goes further back in time. She lives in a hut in the woods in the 10th or 14th or 16th century and still uses doors for magic, but is growing old. That's basically the Pixar theory in a nutshell but since Lightyear just came out and I just watched it, (laughs) then I wanted to kind of add my own theory with it. So this one's something that I came up with, um, and I mean, other people could probably have come to the same conclusion. I haven't looked into it, but I just thought I'd throw this in there. Lightyear just came out earlier this year and claims to be the film that Andy from Toy Story watched and fell in love with. Buzz Lightyear getting the toy for his birthday, and that's the plot of Toy Story. We know that BNL manufactures the toys, and they are a part of the government and in any nook and cranny of the world, so it wouldn't be a stretch to assume that they make motion pictures, right? So my theory is that b and made the film as a way to prepare humans for their inevitable future, leaving the planet and finding a new one to inhabit. It makes Andy and kids like him interested in space and traveling through the stars. It also shows that humans can make a new life anywhere else even though Buzz always talks about getting everyone home. He eventually accepts the fact that he has to stay and chooses to destroy the crystal that was the key off the planet. He even refuses to go back in time to go home making that seem like an evil idea because of Zurg and his intentions. So that is the Pixar Theory. It is just an overview and you can go down so many rabbit holes and there are so many details and easter eggs I left out because this episode would end up being a thousand years long. So I recommend looking this up for yourself and watching some videos on it because it's super fun to explore and trust me I left out a lot of information so try to find something you would like and just start moving through it because it's super super cool and I will link my resources in the show notes if you're interested in looking at what I used to write this episode. Highly recommend it. Very, very interesting. So that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about the Pixar theory and that it was beneficial to you. As always, thanks for listening to the Dutch Angle Chronicles podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to come back for the next episode, another Sam Reacts, this time the first episode of ReZero. Until then, this is Samantha De La Heron, and don't forget, always look at film from a different perspective. Bye!